Good morning, Highlight Church. How are you? Good, good. Praise God. Let's give it up for our worship team today. They were simply amazing. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it, man. Amen. Amen. Jason is the man. Um, wow. Highlight Easter next Sunday, next Saturday and Sunday. Are we stoked about that? Very good. Very good. Man, you know, last year we hosted Montgomery's, Montgomery County's first ever Easter egg drop, and um, it was more than a, a success. And uh, we're expecting for even more people to come this year and to be uh, impacted in a, in a great way by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who says that you can't believe in Christ and have fun? All right? I mean, you're talking bounce houses and candy and prizes and 12,000 eggs falling from heaven. All right, I'm going to talk to the 10% that are stoked in here, man. It is. It's going to be phenomenal. So good. Um, hey, so we have about 35 volunteers signed up to facilitate this event. And this is a move of God. Um, and it'll be our second annual. Like I said, it was the first one last year. It'll be our second one. And uh, 40 people last year volunteered, and they made it happen. And uh, 700 people came out to the event. Um, man, let's, let's become a part of this thing. Let's become a part of this thing. If you haven't signed up yet, we would love for you to serve with us to make this thing happen. I was, I was out in Target yesterday bothering people and Chris and Megan and my wife about coming to this thing. And people are stoked. They're signing up. Um, we have 35 right now. Let's hit that 70 mark. Can we get 35 more people to sign up to serve at this egg drop? All right. The same 35 that are signed up are clapping. Let's just cancel it, get the refund. <laughs> Marcus, I love your laugh. Wow, it's going to be great. So after service, go ahead and uh, please sign up. Uh, we can't wait to serve with you. Last year, you know, there were people who served who didn't even consider Highlight Church their home, and it was an honor to have them. It's going to be fun. Chick-fil-A is going to be there. Good, good. Christian chicken. All right. The other half of you like, just give me the Bible in this picture. <laughs> All right, Luke 23, we're going to dive in right now. Um, Luke 23, verse 26, go ahead and join me there. The Bible says that as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, is it Cyrene or Cyrene? Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldier seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. So Simon, uh, Serene, that, that's located in northern North Africa. And um, it was Roman law that if a prisoner was carrying his crossbar, Jesus would have been carrying his crossbar. Like I said, go back to last week. Um, bleeding, you know, hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging all over the place and, you know, just losing blood and he's super weak and he's beaten. And so it would have been Roman law for them to choose somebody out of the crowd to help a prisoner carry their crossbar to the place of crucifixion. This crossbar would have weighed between 80 and 120 pounds. So you could imagine um, the struggle of Christ in this 
in this moment. Um, and a lot of theologians, they say, potentially because Simon was of darker skin, he just stood out and they just grabbed him. So it's really nothing underlying there. Just It's just a cool fact to know that he, he stood out and he, he was the one that had the privilege of helping our Lord and Savior to the cross. Um, yes, crucifixion was extremely embarrassing and demeaning, and uh, they did it in public to prevent um, like crimes or similar crimes in which Jesus never committed any sin, never done any, never did any crime, but they were going to make a mockery out of him. The religious community was going to do it because he claimed to be God and the son of God. And the political community wanted to crucify him because he was causing an uproar in the region. And the governor Pontius Pilate had orders from Caesar to maintain the peace. If you don't, that's going to be your neck. That's going to be your head. And then we have Judas within his inner circle that betrayed him. So I just want to forewarn you, if you ever start truly following Christ, just be prepared to lose a lot of friends, okay? Inner circle and outward, you're going to be pressed on each angle, but also be prepared to gain a lot of friends within the community of the church where you get to experience the love of Jesus, the breadth, the depth, the width, and all of his goodness within a community. Verse 32, we're going to skip down. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, this, this place was called Skull Hill. This is where they, and now, you know, I haven't been there, but we're going to try to go to Jerusalem in the next two or three years. Um, <laughs> Skull Hill is now a bus station, and you just see remnants of where your Savior was put on a cross. It's, yeah, it's a bus station. Um, but at any rate, um, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. We're going to preach on that statement one year, not this year. I want to cover an entire story, but there are these seven sayings of Jesus before he goes to the cross that we're going to focus on one year. But this is one of them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. This is actually prophecy as well. Uh, you can find that part about soldiers gambling for his clothes in the Psalms. Um, David had the, the spirit of God, and he knew that his Savior was going to come one day. He was going to be crucified, and the soldiers, while he was dying, would be gambling for his, his clothes. It's just cool stuff that's popping out here. The crowd watched, and uh, the leaders scoffed. I need you to take note of that. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. Isn't that crazy? Sour. We just took wine uh, uh, to commemorate uh, as a symbol of the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And the devil gives him sour wine while he's up on the cross. Yeah, okay, and it says this here, verse 37, they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him, above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews, as a sign of mockery. Verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. 
verse 40. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to bring a message to you entitled Breaking and Entering. Breaking and Entering. Thanks, child. You know, in spring, around this time of the year, in spring of 2014, uh, my wife and I, we were getting ready to go to sleep. It was about 1 a.m. in the morning, and I received a phone call from our creative director, Chris Congiogiannis, and that's a long last name, isn't it? <laughs> you just got to love him for that last name. Just When you see him, just give him a hug. Um, he called, and uh <laughs> yeah, sorry. He called and he was very shaken because um, at the time he was living with my mother-in-law and he, he called us and we were just about to fall asleep and he says, hey, uh, pastor, I think um, I think someone's broken into Kyra's mom's house and he's going through the house and he's looking and he sees broken glass in the living room and um, he's approaching his room and he sees this big gaping hole in his door. Um, someone had uh, kicked a hole through his door and latched it from the inside and went in and they stole thousands of dollars of, of stuff, you know, um, gifts that were passed down to him. And I mean, he was, he was nervous. He, he didn't want to go to bed there that night. So we had him come on over and go to sleep. We filed the police report and, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And it was, it was quite clear that these individuals, they knew what they were looking for because they went into his room and they went right into my mother-in-law's room and they looked in the closet for, for something, but they didn't find it because she had moved it. And um, you just got to think, man, like, who would do such a thing? I mean, has anyone ever broken into a house? I won't tell on you. Come on. There are no cops. There you go. Right? Anyone ever been victim of a house break-in? Yeah, yeah, it, it makes you feel vulnerable, right? And you, you, you start to ask yourself when you're the victim of it, it's like, who would do such a thing like this besides someone that's broken, someone that's going through issues, be it they need money or, or they're just, I don't know, in our eyes, they're just bad people, they're horrible. Who would break into my house? Who would, who would do this to me besides someone that's that's broken and that's what we see here we see two criminals on a cross and it's a result of their brokenness it's a result of a life of sin it's a result of i don't know something may have happened um, in their family history maybe maybe dad wasn't there maybe mommy didn't love on them maybe maybe a spouse left and 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 cheated and and uh, desanctified the, the, the sanctity of their marriage. You, you never know. Maybe it was a bad business deal that set them on this road. But for whatever reason, um, they've been operating in a dysfunction long enough to get them to the point of being crucified. Crucifixion was capital punishment. And so the Roman Empire was done with them. They were set for death. Their brokenness leads them to the cross. 
let's, let's do some math here. Their dysfunction leads them to the cross. And the Bible says in um, Romans 6.23, it says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all broken. We are all dysfunctional. We're all jacked up. If we can be honest, anyone perfect in here? Anyone jacked up in here? Oh, yeah, we're all broken. We're, we're all dysfunctional. And this story shows us something about the presence of God in the midst of our brokenness. We see two criminals hanging on the cross, and right there, dead smack in the middle of them, is the presence of God. It, it's, it's the answer for their dysfunction. It, it's the antidote for their brokenness. It, it, it's the answer for their freedom, and his name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so we think that our, our sin and our brokenness pushes God away, and it repels the presence of God, and it repels the forgiveness of God, when in essence, this shows us that it doesn't. And it leads me to my first point of breaking and entering, that my brokenness brings me closer to God. My brokenness brings me closer to God. I remember in um, 2006, um, it was my sophomore year in college. And uh, me and my best friend, man, we were row, row dogs, man. We, we had it all planned out. I know I told myself, you know, I told God, I said, look, I was raised in church uh, a little bit. I wasn't in there every day, but I was in there for the most part, um, at least three times a month. I was kind of raised in the church, so I told God when I was 18, when I headed to college, I said, you know what, let me get through college, let me succeed, let me make all my money, let me sow my royal oats, you know, let me get around a little bit, and then when I'm 50 or 60, I'll give my life to you. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give my life to you, man. You're up there, I'm, I'll get, anyone ever did that to God? You ever said that? I'm the only one? Oh, you have, good. You ever, like, let me just do my thing and I'll give my life to you. So, Freshman year was amazing. Living the good life. Sophomore year, we come back to school. My best friend, he starts to attend this Bible study. He turns into a real cornball, Elia. Real, real cornball. Real lame. I don't even know if we use those words anymore. I'm getting old. Like um, my oldest, no, was it my oldest son? No, Eliel, it was you. You, you came to the house, and you're like, yeah, I was this age when that came out. So my baby, he has uh, Lightning McQueen and Storm, Jackson Storm, and he has Hot Wheels on the table. We were having dinner, and you're like, yeah, I was this age, and I, I used to play with those. And I'm like, yeah, man, you used to play with Hot Wheels? He said, no, I used to play with the cars, the Lightning McQueen. And I'm like, dang, I'm the Hot Wheels generation. You're the car. You. I don't know, Lance. You're a little young, too. Okay, yeah, you are. You're Hot Wheels. You're Hot Wheels generation. Anyway, besides the point, my, um, don't y'all love us? We're an interactive crowd. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. We're interactive in here. Anyway, back to my point. So he invited me one time, two times, for a whole month. I slammed the door in his face, and I finally went because he was like, just come for me. I said, all right, I can do this. So first Bible study, um, 
you know, we're 19. This young man comes in. He's like 25 years old. And I mean, this dude, he, number one, he looked like, the, like us. He was cool like us. He taught the Bible like no one's business. And I was, I was more drawn to him than I was God. You got to watch that stuff, though. You got to be drawn to God. Never stay at or leave a church because of a pastor. You have to be drawn to the spirit of God, not the person that God is using. That's called idolatry. But at any rate, I was drawn to him first. That's how God used him. And so I went for like three weeks in a row. And on the third week, we are um, in, an, in the English building on Florida A&M University's campus. And he's, he's teaching on um, the topic of oppression. And I mean, he's, you know, he has verse after verse. Well, to be more specific, it was demonic possession versus demonic oppression. I didn't want to scare you because it scared the living daylights out of me. And I'm like, I'm just trying out this God thing, and you're going a little bit too deep, and you're sounding crazy right now. But he went through it, and it's bam, and bam, and bam. And so by the, throughout the study, I'm like, all right, I'm not possessed. Cool, all right. Then it was bam, and this verse, and that verse, and God was just using them. And, and as he was teaching, it's almost like God put up a, 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 a film or a movie of, like, my life. Like he, he brought up everything. Like, th- this is why you think the way you think. Th- th- this, is, this is why you put um, yourself before others. And this is why you worship money over me. And, 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 and this is what happened when you were a kid. And so this is why you think about women the way you think about them. And, you know, as he's teaching, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Oh, man, I am so broken. Like, I'm so broken because at the time I had a girlfriend and I had another friend, right? And, and this, was, this was part of my testimony, too, because it, it, was, it was rooted in my brokenness. I always, told, I always told God this. It was always a conversation between me and God because the Bible says that the law is written on our hearts. So you don't even have to know the Bible to know if you're living in sin or if you're living in freedom. The law is written in our hearts. And so I, I would tell God this um, because of my, the way I was, you know, the context of my life. I would say, Lord, I don't care how many women, I'm just being a little transparent, how many women I have kids with, as long as I make enough money to send the money their way. Because it was, it, that was my context. That's, that was my upbringing. And what God used the man of God to do was to reveal my brokenness. But it wasn't in a way where it was bad you. You're going to hell. That, that's condemnation. Condemnation pushes you away. Jesus taught us in John 14 that the the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, not condemn you. So conviction says this. Yeah, that's a little jacked up. But we're going to work with you. (laughs) We need to work that out. And so what it wasn't convict, it wasn't condemnation, it was conviction. And it was like, I have to do something about that. And so the pastor, he, he prayed, and he said, does anyone want to receive salvation, forgiveness? God loves you. I'll pray with you right now. And I'm like, nope, I'm good. I want to stay oppressed. <laughs> and he prayed, I'm like, whew, made it through that one. <laughs> no, so I went up to him, and I'm like, I don't know, man, my heart was moved, so I said, hey, um, 
gave my life to Jesus. I said, really? I said, yeah, cool. Went back into the classroom, we prayed. And, and, and I got my best friend, he's in Boston, he'll tell you to this day. We prayed the prayer of salvation, you know, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. And at that, at that moment, you receive the spirit of God in your heart. And I'll tell you, after that prayer, I left that room. Kevin will tell you that I was crying like a baby all the way to my car. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, I'm saved, man. And God's good, man. It's like, yeah, man, you did it. Shut up, man. I'm saved, man. Give me a tissue. And what happened was, was this weight of self-condemnation lifted off of me. It was, it, it, it wasn't that God was judging me all of my life, all of my 19 years upon the earth. It was, it was the fact that I was very conscious of my brokenness. But God used the man of God to reveal to me that your brokenness magnetizes my presence. It attracts my presence. Now, God isn't, like, chasing us around or anything, and, and he doesn't, like, feel empty if you don't give your heart to him, but he loves you, and he has a plan for you, and he wants to set you free, and he wants to give you a purpose. So what happened was it's, it's as if the Spirit of God said, I'm going to take this oppression, the condemnation, the brokenness off, and I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to transform your life. And it was that day that's led to you all being in this room listening to me right now. Yeah, yeah, praise God. It was that day. And so what I'm saying is, is that salvation is the first step. There are people connected to your faith decision. Their lives eternally impacted. And I love it because right in the middle of two broken criminals, there is God and Abad, Jesus himself. And so uh, I love Hebrews. It says this, Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, the message. We don't have a priest. A priest is someone who stands between God and the people um, who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all. Jesus was tempted at every level you're tempted at to forgive, to quit, to, 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 to kill himself. We, we read that last week. You know, he, was, he didn't want to go through the scourging. Um, he was tempted to, to, to lust for, for, for he, all of that. But it says this, all but the sin. He didn't sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. God wants to give us freedom. He, he wants to give us fulfillment and peace and joy. He wants to do that. My brokenness qualifies me for God's goodness. My second point is this. We have to understand that my words have the power to create my world. Breaking and entering. We, we just read the entire verse. This dude straight up broke into heaven, just broke into heaven. It started with his brokenness, then it, it continued on with his words. 
Your words have the power to create your world. Um, in 1985, um, Jim Carrey, any Jim Carrey fans in the house? He, he, uh, he's, he's straight. He's straight. Yeah. In 1985, he wrote himself a check, $10 million, and he put on it four acting services rendered. And he said, within 10 years, I'm going to make $10 million. And by 1995, he had blown $10 million out of the water. He was a multimillionaire by 1995. And he took that check out at his dad's funeral. It was crumpled up, and you couldn't even read the letters anymore because they had faded. And he put that check in his dad's casket. And uh, because his dad always had a problem with him pursuing acting and being a comedian. But what I love about that story is that he spoke it into existence. Not only that, he wrote it. Habakkuk tells us to do this. He says, whenever God gives you a vision, write the vision. Some of you have um, nonprofit organizations on the inside of you. You have businesses on the inside of you. There are doctors on the inside of you. And so whatever God shows you about your future, you need to begin to write it out. And um, I love that because he spoke it. Bill Gates said this in 1980. He said, a computer on every desk and in every home. A computer on every desk and in every home. That was 1980. And we can tell that in any first world country, that's just about true. Uh, JFK said this in 1962. He said, we choose to go to the moon. He said it. We choose to go to the moon. And by 1969, the Apollo 11, we landed the first two human beings on the moon. Seven years later. Sometimes what you say takes about seven years to come to pass. Seven, biblically, is the, number of uh, is the number of perfection. He said it. Your words have the power to create your world. Your words have the power to create your world. Your words have the power to alter your world. Your words have the power to alter your day. Your words have the power to alter any given second. Your words have the power to alter your work situation. Your words have the power to alter your family. Your words. Your words, we choose to go to the moon. I just think we say things a lot of times and it feels good in the moment, but we don't hold on to what we've said. Your words, your words. Orville Wright of the Wright brothers, innovators of aviation, if birds can glide for long periods of time, then why can't I? His words came in the form of a question, but he was really making a statement. Now, at any given moment in the world, there are millions of people in the sky at one time. Your words have the power to create your world. Because they have creative capability. This is how it works. You believe something in your heart. You conceive it in your mind, you speak it through your mouth, and it manifests. The word there, the Greek word for, for word is logos. And so in the Gospel of John, John tells us that Jesus is the logos. He says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh. So the word is Jesus. 
But from a conceptual standpoint, the definition of logos is idea or concept. And whenever your words become the word of God, your ideas, your thoughts, your concepts become the ideas, the thoughts, and the concepts of God. And when you start to believe it in your heart, you conceive it in your mind, you speak it through your mouth, and it manifests. Your words create your world. I'm going to prove this to you. Genesis 1. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. So there was nothing. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse 3. Watch this sequence. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. You catching it, Sam. God said, he saw, and he was satisfied. A lot of your dissatisfaction and lack of peace in life is a result of your obedience and or ability to speak the word of God in and over your life. God said it, he saw it, and he was satisfied. He said it, he saw it, and he was satisfied. He said it, he saw it, and he was satisfied. What are you speaking over your life? What, 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 are, you, what are you speaking over over, over your finances and, and your marriage and, and your singleness. Is it woe is me or is it, man, this is the greatest season of my life. I'll never get this season back. Is it, is it I'm broke or is it I can learn something? I can begin to budget my money. I, I, this is the season now where I feel broke, where I can start putting God first in the tithe and the offering. I put his kingdom first. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom, and everything you need shall be added unto you. What, what are you speaking over your children? I've gotten into the habit every day of just, Lord, they will be blessed, and they will be healthy. They will succeed. They shall never know debt. They, they, they will love you at an early age. Not church, not religion. They shall love Jesus at an early age. I've gotten into the flow of just my words, my words, my words. Because, you know, you wake up and it's cloudy and it's snowy outside on the first day of spring. You can either choose to trip out and make it a red box and chill or Netflix and chill. Or you can just start to declare, like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. According to the psalmist. Your words, your words, your words. Before Highlight Church even existed, Highlight Church will exist. People will get saved. Lives will be changed. I bless that. I don't know that city. I don't know people in that city. What is a Gaithersburg? I bless it in the name of Jesus. Your words create your world. I don't want to belabor the point, but I just think that Satan has given us, has been very successful in giving us his mouthpiece. The, the, the criminal on the cross, he has some choices to make. He could have followed the, the idiot, excuse my French, that, that was in the presence of God, 
but chose right along with the leaders and the soldiers to scoff and to mock Jesus. Or he could have said, you know what, even though I'm about to die, my words still have power. I'm, I'm, I'm a, what, a, what a rose at? My, my words still have power, Sam. Even though life is hard, my words still have power. Even though I'm broke, my words still have power. Even though I'm sick, my words still have power. Even though they don't like me, my words still have power. Even though I'm about to die, my words still have power. Even though I'm in trouble and I'm pressed on every side, my words still has power. My words still has power. Your words create your world. And he said, today you shall be with me in paradise. Whoa, hold on, hold on. We're, we're on Calvary. We're on Skull Hill. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Your words create your world. In any given second or moment of the day, you can switch your situation if you would just switch your words. I love this job. I honor my boss. Everybody, the, the great downfall of this generation, the millennial and down, is that everyone wants to be up top. Everyone want to be up top. Let me tell you something. The way to get to the top is to dip low. <laughs> honor your boss. Honor your supervisor. Well, they don't believe in God. That's fine. Honor them. Love them. Serve them to the point where they take notice of God in you, and then you birth faith in them for Jesus Christ. Honor, honor. Your words create your world. Yeah. My last point is that God loves to host. God loves to host. We can close it out here. Has this been pretty pretty good for you today? Yeah, I'm trying to behave with time. So, uh, yeah, God loves to host. And so I love my wife. She is uh, the cleanest person I know. I'm sure many of you other husbands would argue that. Maybe not. I don't know your situation. <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> um, but the cleanest person I know. What I love about her the most, though, is um, whenever we're expecting guests, um, she takes it to a whole nother level as far as cleaning the house. I mean, she gets that sucker smelling lemony fresh. We just had y'all over the house. It was smelling. First thing y'all said, man, it smells like lemons in here. <laughs> so yeah, that's because we just sprayed and wiped. And, um, you know, she just, she does so well. And the thing I love about it is, you know, whether it's, someone's kid is over to spend the day with Jay and the parents don't even come into the house, she's going to clean the house from top to bottom. Or it can be a, a doctor or a lawyer or someone, I don't know, someone a little bit more important than a kid, um, whatever that means. She, she's <laughs> she's going to clean the house because she loves to host and she's good at it. What we see here with Jesus being our Savior is that you have Leaders of the religious community, soldiers who have been ordered to kill him, to crucify him, and two criminals, all of which represent us, all of which are broken. And the Bible just told us that the leaders, the one criminal, and the soldiers scoffed at him. 
That word scoffed in the Greek means that they blew their nose. That, and they, they just blew their nose at him. And I mean, he even says that they sped on him and all that stuff. But I love it. He's, he's on the cross for our sins, for you and I. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They don't understand the eternal ramifications of sin. But nevertheless, I'm going to die for them anyway. And as, as God is, the Bible says that God is patient. God is patient. Don't think that God is slow in fulfilling his promises. He is patient. I think it's 2 Peter uh, some 2, 9 or something like that. He says that God is patient. And he is patient so that all men would come to repentance. So he's, he's taking his final breaths, and this, this thief or this criminal says, hey, don't forget me when you go into your kingdom. And he says, today you shall be with me in paradise. Isn't that phenomenal? That even as he's suffocating, even as his lungs are pierced, his ribs are broken, skin hanging off of his skull and his face, um, his, his parts laid bare to the public eye. Jesus has the wherewithal, the love, the grace, and the forgiveness to say, come on home. Today you shall be with me in paradise. The old Jewish people believe that Eden is no longer here. And that in Genesis, when, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to fall, you see where God put an a angel with a flaming sword to protect it. Because had they got back into the Garden of Eden, they would have eaten of the tree of life, and we would have been stuck in this situation forever. Could you imagine being stuck in this forever? But God in his grace provides an angel. And so the Jews believe that the Garden of Eden has been elevated from the earth and taken into heaven. You know what the word Eden means? It means paradise. In Eden, every need was met. Food was without limit. The presence of God walked with them in the cool of the day. Men worked in purpose. The sin that they committed, we landed into a curse, and God said, now you will work by the sweat of your brow. But in Eden, Adam had a purpose. And he didn't sweat, he didn't struggle. It's in the presence of God. You don't have to wait to die to get into paradise. You can have paradise in your heart by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the thief did on the cross. So I want to open up this opportunity to you because God would love to host you, no matter your past. No matter your decisions, no matter your upbringing, I shared with you part of my story, my thinking, my brokenness. But I praise God. There's nothing about the past 11 years that I regret. It's only gotten better and better and better. It's paradise. So let's bow our heads, church. Let's intercede for people. Maybe you've never made Christ Lord of your life, but he loves you, and it's evident 
and he's calling you home. And this could be your morning. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, but that Jesus died for sinners so that we would be free. He loves you, and he's calling you home. On the count of three, I'm going to go ahead and give you an opportunity to raise your hand and receive salvation. Church, you pray. On the count of three, don't let Satan talk you out of this. This will be the greatest decision you will ever make. You raise that hand high. One, two, three. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah. You can go ahead and drop those hands. Praise God for you. Come on, church. Let's praise God. Salvation has reigned in this place. Hallelujah. Go ahead and pray after me, okay? Repeat after me. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiving my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for my sin. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Get comfortable. Make it your home. Have your way. Give me a destiny. Show me my purpose. I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate, church. I love you guys. God bless you. See you soon.